You are listening to The Worlding Podcast, where we explore the relationship of how we are both, shaping and being shaped by our surroundings. The podcast traces interconnections by inviting each episode's guest to pass on the mic to someone who has influenced their world. And now, here's your host, dance artist Renee Schadler. Hello friends. Today we are starting a new string figure with my guest Catherine Rose Evans. Kath is a Berlin-based artist and writer whose work focuses on geologic time and where this intersects with our own human time scales, as found in our bodies, their materiality, and our lived histories. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. And thank you, Renee, so much for the invite. My pleasure. It's wonderful to have you on the program. And to begin, I'd love to hear a little bit about your current surroundings, where you're recording now. I'm sitting on my at my little desk here in the study in my apartment in Berlin Neukölln, and I'm really bad at keeping the desk clear. So I, it's quite cluttered. I've got papers all around me. I've got a glass of water because I've already drunk too much coffee this morning. And also a lot of rocks. Because mm, rocks is really a companion in your work and through your artistic research. I know at the moment you're working on a project with rocks and in the streets of Berlin. Could you share with us a little bit about that project and how you're tuning in to the rocks and the stories perhaps that they're carrying? I'm working on a project at the moment, which is part of a group exhibition and a public program as part of the Gallery in Kerner Park here in Berlin. And the work is based around the A100 highway construction site, which is actually not that far from where I live here. Um, it's, a, it's a site that I've actually been walking past for a few years now, watching them um, cutting through the earth. I, and I've, I've found it super fascinating because they're also building a tunnel as part of it. And I've started to go into the site and collect rocks there. Um, I find it really interesting that these rocks are excavated as part of the construction because the rocks are actually not originally from the area. So they're, they're what we call um, glacial erratics. So volcanic rocks that were pushed to the area at the end of the last ice age. And my plan for this project is um, to inscribe words on these rocks that have been excavated and actually return them to the site, burying them under the highway before it's sealed. And what type of language are you going to inscribe or artworks will you inscribe on the rocks? This is so something I've been working on. So what I've what I've developed is a, a kind of vocabulary um, that I'll inscribe on one word on each rock. And what the vocabulary is 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 a list of words in German that use the ear prefix. So, for example, one of my um, favorite words in German is the word Irstern, which um, here, the prefix ear means something that's gone off its path or something that is lost 
um, and Stern is star. So actually, if you we translate that literally, it, it it's a lost star or a, actually a comet. But this prefix ear I find very interesting and it's used before a lot of words. For example, like irrtum is a mistake in German or irreführen is to also drive off a known path. Mm, that's so interesting. Also this process of the rocks being relocated with this glacier and then being again relocated through the process of building the highway to then be relocated or perhaps returned to where they were um, through the artistic process. It's very cyclical in some way, like a continuation, um, very poetic. It makes me think I actually protested for or against a highway being built in Melbourne, Australia, in Carlton. It was the east-west link mm -hmm. and it was going to disturb parklands and it went via the Melbourne Zoo and residential suburbs and I remember standing on a street with placards and there was also somebody in the group that chained themselves with a bike lock to the drilling machine and it's a very different form of resistance to this poetic encounter that you're creating. Can you talk a little bit about how you chose this process of inscribing in rocks and burying something in the ground? Yeah, well, actually, I, it's funny that you mentioned the protest in Melbourne because I remember this as well. And um, exactly like that development, this development of the A100 here in Neukern is also hotly contested and um, there are regular actions at the site because it's a very expensive construction. It's also um, questionable if it needs to happen now, if, if money should be invested in infrastructure like roads. Um, and so, yeah, that's, it's certainly very similar. And um, the, the, the artwork that I'm planning maybe I could frame it through the idea of a kind of poetic resistance because, of course, actually the actual work, it will be invisible as well. So the work will be that the rocks are buried under the road with these words inscribed. And I kind of think of it as like um, a kind of a time capsule for a language. Um, and all these words are kind of like lost words in a way because of this prefix and maybe that's a subtle critique of the development as well because the work is invisible i plan to activate it with an artist walk along the length of the construction as well so i want to open up a dialogue um, and bring people along the site and use the points where these rocks are buried for discussing the different issues around the construction too Will you have photos of the rocks or will there be any visual material that people can hold on to? Well, right now I've got the vocabulary as a poster, actually. I've developed it as a poster. And, um, yes, I will be documenting the rocks, but I can't say yet what that will look like or what form it will take because it hasn't been done yet. <laughs> That's so interesting. It's always nice to dive into these very fresh ideas and see how they develop over time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's something beautiful also about the rocks continuing after the human has passed away. I know that's 
also another string of your research talking about how timescales meet. And there is something very poetic and also very ancient in a way of inscribing something and burying it. I think about dogs with bones that bury them. I think about uh, humans that engrave, you know, in the Paleolithic times in the Alps or the Indigenous communities in Australia. We're both Australian and I think we've kind of grown up seeing these these carvings as well. How has that been like returning to a practice that's quite an old practice actually? I think this idea of burying is also, it keeps something safe. So once something is buried, it also protects it from all the elements. It's no longer worn by rain and wind and all all this. It's kind of like incubated in the earth. And what interests me is to try and find a way that I can make a work that maybe stretches past my own lifespan and maybe perhaps the lifespan of the um, highway as well. So I think it's really interesting to sort of try and tap into these um, different timescales that the rocks themselves hold and the earth around them holds um, and how to how to use that in developing a work that might critique what's happening now um, in the area. Um, definitely it's something that I'm interested in my work in general is how, or looking at trying to look at forces that are much larger than ourselves. I know also another work you did recently was looking at the rotation of the earth and how we measure the rotation of the earth. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like that's also an ongoing thread, these techniques from early scientists that you're revisiting and perhaps turning a little bit on their side, queering slightly to yeah, really share how these timescales are meeting and pushing up against each other? Yeah, absolutely. So the work that you're thinking of is called The Earth, The Axis, or Die Erde, Die Achse in German. And um, it was an installation based on Foucault's pendulum, which was the very first scientific instrument that gave direct evidence that the Earth is actually rotating and what's funny actually about this work, now that we're talking about it, is that actually the pendulum um, in this work was actually a stone also collected from the A100 construction site. So I've been loitering around this area for quite a while now. <laughs> <laughs> so I took the instrument and basically I recreated it in quite a large scale in in a space, but I dissected it, pulled it apart, and the resulting um, work was completely non-functional and static but because of this crossing of lines um, it gave kind of like a, a I guess a sense of a latent movement still. Mm. There's something so poetic also in the stillness of the rock. I have also some rocks on my desk and it's interesting they've all called me for different reasons mm -hmm. like I have one here that's grey with slight dark circle in the middle like it kind of looks like you're looking into something but they are stationary which I think is also a really beautiful parallel to 
human movement and moving forward and working and a very different rhythm to what the rocks propose. Do you find people have that feeling of perhaps being grounded <laughs> literally with the, the rock as a form of ground or slowing down when they enter these spaces? I'm not sure. I think when I can play with the rock, I think it's interesting when I can give them a sense of weightlessness and how to it sort of invert that expectation that we might have with a material that it's heavy, for example. And when I can play with that, then I think their work becomes activated and that becomes an entry point for an audience as well. But it's also interesting that we think of these rocks as stationary, heavy, still things, because of course they're not. It's all again about our perception of time. And if you look at a scale that's much larger than ourselves, of course these rocks have liquid histories actually and will again as well in some point. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking also about sand that then is kind of processed into glass like Yes. That's also an amazing process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how to attune to these processes that actually lots of us don't have contact with. Like the idea of a rock becoming liquid is quite foreign to me. It feels quite far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, big thoughts, definitely. <laughs> I wondered also about, from the perspective of worlding, how these laws of motion or understanding of place can also be applied to the human. We've been really investigating how we are shaping and being shaped by our surroundings. And I found this relation that you have with the A100 construction also a form of welding, that it's appearing through your works, that you're sitting in your office, your space with rocks surrounding you from this site. How does that feel, this cohabiting perhaps with this site? Have you found any changes in yourself through this process? I think by researching and experimenting with the different with different um forces, I think, that play on on these materials. It's a way for me also to understand or begin to understand how these forces, they also apply exactly to us. So we are also a material that is cycling, actually no different from the rocks. In fact, the minerals circle between them and my own body as well. So I think it's an, a, a way that I can start to think more about these cycles of materials. And, of course, we're not outside that at all, in fact. Mm, it's very humbling, actually. Yes, yes, yes. To sit with your rocks and, yeah, learn with them, relate to them, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. understand the movement of them breaking down or being formed. Yeah, they're big, actually, and the scale is something that we don't have so much exposure to, so it's a beautiful practice in that way of reassessing, perhaps, or rediscovering. It resonates actually with a work I made in 2012 called In Your Ear. And I come from a movement background and a theatre background. So I was approaching it through the idea of movement. So 
it was a play on inertia, Isaac Newton's Mm -hmm. law of motion, which states that if something is in motion, for example, a ball rolling down a hill, it will continue until the opposing force is great enough to stop it. So, for example, a ball's rolling down a hill and to stay with our rocks, a rock uh, comes in contact with it and it stops. So I applied this law to people moving from A to B and it was a performance installation in train stations and it was five happenings that aimed to increase the volume on the subconscious interactions between strangers. So one of the installations was called Yawn And it was a film montage of people in the station yawning on camera. And this would also be projected in the station. So it became a really nice way to understand this contagiousness of the yawn and that we're all affecting each other when we're in a similar space. But also it kind of provided an insight into the community in the station and who wasn't seen, who was invisible. Yeah. But it's interesting, I never thought of it from this perspective, actually, of the materiality of the body in relation to the materiality of the ball or what Isaac Newton proposed when he proposed this law of motion. It wasn't necessarily created for humans, but of course, as part of this ecosystem, we are material. So it's a nice way to revisit things totally. I think that sounds like a really interesting work and it it's interesting that you bring up Isaac Newton's um, law of motion because I'm becoming in my research more and more interested actually in what the early scientists that predate him were doing and their techniques. You gave the example of the experiment of the ball rolling down the hill. This is one example that before experiments are carried out today using usually quite high-tech equipment, such simple gestures were were used to actually study the physical forces of our world. Mm. And one of the earliest, actually even predating um, Foucault and his pendulum, was in Bologna. Um, Monks were throwing weights off towers so that they had a longer fall in order to first try and demonstrate the rotation of the earth. And these experiments, they were extremely crude, of course, with big great margins of error. But what I find is these precursors are so elegant in their simplicity. This is something I really love and also try to bring into my own practice. So working with really basic materials and making very simple gestures. So for example, to give a rock movement or to balance a rock, for example. And also what I like about this, these early experiments is a kind of uh, fidelity to material. So really working with the, what qualities does something have and trying to nut out in the studio how it can be harnessed. Um, yeah, these are, I find very interesting to go back to these, these early experiments. In a way they're timeless, like we've been talking about the, timelessness of artworks that exist after us or before us and then also these experiments that actually yeah they're so intuitive of course like if we want to know if we're moving let's throw Mm. a stone off a building and see where it lands you know or yes yes yeah let's roll something and see if we can get it to stop and 
you know, will some friction on the ground cause it to stop or do we need a rock? Or Yes. It's very playful, actually, and there's a nice way to uh, enter into it. It doesn't take um, such a big threshold, perhaps, for technology or for a form of literacy because I think a lot of these scientific experiments now, I wouldn't know how to interpret, actually. Yeah. They come with a certain mathematical language or quantum physics. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, our technology, it changes. But, of course, the laws of physics, they don't change. So it's, um, you know, that's why these um, techniques are, in a way, timeless because it doesn't require um, technology that needs to be updated or rewritten. It's really just working already with the forces that are present around us. Mm. And the forces that also apply to us. I think this is really the the takeaway for me, actually, that we are the materiality in the way the rock is the materiality. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> is there a way, Kath, that we can embody your research, perhaps with an experiment that we can trial or something we can feel through our bodies? Yes, absolutely. Um, I have one action that I would like to invite people to do, which is to take a piece of chalk or something from home, something to mark the ground, and go for a walk. And as you walk, look on the ground and collect any small stones that you might see along the way and they need to be small enough that they fit in the palm of your hand. And have a look at the stones and look at their different features. What can you guess from them that their story might be? For example, are they heavy? Are some lighter than others? What's its colour? Does it have mixes of different colours? And also its texture. For example, is the rock smooth or does it have hard edges that might have been recently broken? And at the end of your walk, when you've got this few stones in the palm of your hand, find a clear space somewhere, maybe on a, a concrete surface somewhere, so a footpath, or some, something like this, a, a basketball court. And in this clear space, just throw the rocks up into the air. Let them fall on the concrete and on each place where they land, mark with a circle of chalk. Pick them up and then throw them again. And repeat this as many times as you like. And each time when you mark it, you'll see that the rocks, of course, are landing in completely different places each time. And I think this is a really interesting experiment that can build up to show that even in this short space between the the distance of when you release them from your hand to the ground, there are so many different variables or so many different forces at play that you never get the same result. And it's a bit reminiscent of a child's game like um, marbles or knuckles or something like this, but it's, it's not that different to, for example, the monks in Bologna throwing rocks or weights off towers. It lets us have a way to visualise these different forces even in such a short space and to maybe also to start 
to imagine how then these forces might also apply to us as we maybe also fall through our own lived experiences. I just really had the impression doing the experiment here with my four rocks <laughs> that the world is rotating. I know that sounds ridiculous and we've been talking about it, but I don't know if listeners actually get the movement underneath us that we're on, like we are always moving. Like looking at the rocks, we were talking about that, like this idea of a rock being still, but actually a rock is always moving. It's also inherent because the rock is on the earth and the earth is moving. So actually everything is in movement. Yes, absolutely. Which is a beautiful thought. So we don't need to move at all, really. We can just sit here <laughs> and then <laughs> we don't even need to get on a train. That's fast tracking. The earth's rotating for us. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely. Well, I hope listeners can take that into their day and, um, yeah, feel the movement that's happening through the worlding that's surrounding us as opposed to the movement perhaps we make or carry out. Yes. As part of this podcast, Kath, we're passing on the mic to somebody that's influenced your work or a companion thinker that you think could be a nice match to continue this conversation. I've invited for the next iteration actually another Australian Berlin-based artist, Ali Bishop. And I think she'll be a really interesting guest because she has a background in science, but she's a practicing visual artist um, and also researcher and writer. And so I think she's also straddling this, this welding question as well in her own work. Yeah, so I think she'll, she'll be an interesting guest. Great. Thanks so much for chatting with us today, Kath. And I hope these ideas resonate with listeners and we'd love to hear your thoughts. Feel free to reach out. Great. Thank you so much for the chat, Renee. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to The Worlding Podcast. Gefördert durch die Beauftragte der Bundesregierung für Kultur und Medien im Programm Neustart Kultur. Hilfsprogramm des Tanzen des Dachverband Tanz Deutschland.